at a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this, but nothing more. Ah, distinctly I remember, it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow, vainly I had sought to borrow from my book's surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore. For the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken sad and certain rustling of each purple curtain thrill me, fill me with fantastic tears never felt before. So that now to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, tis some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door. Some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door. That it is and nothing more. Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitatingly then no longer. Sir, said I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore. But the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chambered door. That I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door, darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there, wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming, dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token. And the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore? This I whispered, an echo murmured back the word, Lenore! Merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning, soon again I heard a tapping, somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see then what thereat is, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind, and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, one with my flirt and flutter, and there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made me, not a minute after stayed he, but with the mind of lord or lady perched upon my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat in nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore. Though thy crest be shorn and shaven thou, I said, art sure no craven, ghastly grim and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me why thy lordly name is on the night's plutonian shore, quoth the raven nevermore. Much I marveled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though this answer little meaning, little relevancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that there is no living being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door. Bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door with such a name nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely on the placid bust, spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered. Other friends have flown before. On the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, nevermore. Starlet, the stillness broken by, replied so aptly spoken. Doubtless, said I, what utters 
its own stack and store caught from some unhappy master whom a merciful disaster follow fast and follow faster till his songs one burden for till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden for of never nevermore but the raven still beguiling all my sad soul into smiling. Straight I wheeled a cushion seat in front of bird and busted door. Then upon velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking, fancy unto fancy thinking, what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that lamplight glowed o'er. But whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight glowing o'er, she shall press, ah, nevermore. Then, methought, the air grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer, swung by seraphim whose footfalls tinkled on the tuft floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee by these angels he hath sent thee. Respite, respite, and nepenthe from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff, O oh, quaff this kind nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet, still a bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed here, there, ashore, desolate yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, by the heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore. Tell the soul with sorrow laden, if with the distant Aiden, it shall clasp a rare and radiant maiden, whom the angels name Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word our sign of parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked up starting, get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul hath spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken, quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from off my door, quoth the raven, nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor. And my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. Welcome to Humans in Motion, quarantined edition. Ed oh, God. Okay. The third. The third. The third. Quarantine edition, the third, for those of us who have been in quarantine for so long that our minds have begun to turn to the essence of mashed potatoes. I think Hawkins. that's what just happened. I think that's what just happened. I'm pretty sure. Well, um, I'm Ashley, obviously. I am Tyler Holowinski. My name is Paul. And I'm Noah. And this is Human's Emotion. Thank you, Noah. Uh, actually, um, so fun fact, we're actually recording with Zoom now because uh, shout out to Zoom for supporting our recording needs because 
um, I'm not going to add them, but at Google Meets no longer lets us record for some reason. I don't know if it's like a domain issue or like they're just like, oh, that humans in motion, those humans in motion kids, they're, uh, they're uh, pretty rascally. We're going to take away their privileges. So I think we're <laughs> grounded in the eyes of Google, but thank you, Zoom, for being there for us in our time of need. All right. Uh, today, we're going to discuss um, some more Edgar Allan Poe, uh, particularly The Raven, his arguably most popular piece. Uh, actually, Most magic- greatest. Most greatest piece. Thank you, Calkins, for bringing that little bit of joy back into our lives. I actually have a Magic the Gathering uh, deck box <laughs> with the Raven on it, with like lines from the Raven along the sides of it. Shout out to all my MTG nerds out there. Um, but yeah, I think for now we're going to begin the literary analysis after I got that bit out of the way. Go ahead, Noah. I think we have uh, something to say from him. Okay, so just a quick recap of this poem, as we've done before, is a dark, mystical poem, as Tyler said, written by Edgar Allan Poe, as perhaps his greatest work, quoting upon the Lenore, who is supposed to represent the narrator's dead love, and a raven who suddenly appears, forcing the reader to confront both death, the afterlife, and his own insanity. Take us away, Tyler. All right. So I think it's safe to say that this poem in general meaning goes from the narrator being, and I quote, weak and weary to diving into a state of very clear and evident madness. But before we discuss that too much, I really want to bring up, guys, the, um, the raven and its significance and its, symbol- and its symbolism in OG Hebrew texts. So like there's the Bible with its like Old Testament, Genesis, all that stuff. And then there's like the old, old Testament, which were like the original interpretations of like old, old Hebrew text. And in those interpretations, so for those of you unfamiliar, Genesis 8 discusses um, the Noah and the ark. And what happens is Noah in the more modern version of the Old Testament goes and he sends a raven. He's like, I raven go, uh, I want to see if the land is dried. And then the raven never comes back. And then so he's like, I, and then he sends a dove. And then the dove comes back and come, goes and comes back because the dove has nowhere to land until finally the dove come back, comes back with an olive branch. Huh? There you go, dove with an olive branch symbolism for you. And then, um, then Noah knows, okay, the earth is now no longer flooded. So, um, and then the whole covenant thing gets made. But in OG versions of this, what happens is there's a white raven, and that raven is sent. But the raven decides to feast on all the carnage of the dead animals because the raven represents gluttony and vices. And so what happens is the raven forces all the people on the ark to wait like a long time before the raven comes back. And then when Noah and God finds out that what this raven did, the raven was forced for the rest of its life to eat carnage and only carnage and eventually turned black. And that's, um, and then there's some Norse mythology too that discusses um, Odin's ravens as well. But, oh, yes. um, but and I definitely implore listeners to do some more research upon that, but that is not something that we have enough time to discuss here. So uh, with that little tidbit being said, I'd like to open it up to the whole class, if you will. Um, well, that's a really fascinating um, interpretation because I hadn't even considered, although it does actually make, uh, not actually, it really does make sense here. Oh my gosh. I Yeah. Good job, Tyler. Good job. Let's go Um, me. (laughs) I 
I thought in the context of the poem, the Raven's um, significance changed per stanza. So there's 18 stanzas uh, or stanzas, depending on who you ask. Depending on who you ask. Um, And the Raven's um, presence, significance, and therefore meaning changes. In the beginning, it's more of, um, it's, it represents the um, narrators, the poetic voices, awareness of, of despair, of something that just doesn't feel right. And then it slowly shifts into um, a feeling of loneliness when it says, other friends have flown before on the morrow, he will leave me and my hopes have flown before. Um, so there's that kind of aspect of loneliness. And then whoever said uh, it kind of shifts into madness at the end is completely correct because um, the raven, it, it, the poetic voice is in such a voice of anger and um, anguish that this raven's significance kind of goes through a roller coaster and it changes nuanced per stanza. So the raven is a metaphor for for what strain on the mind or is it a metaphor for the madness that he's experiencing? I think it's I think it's important to say that the raven's metaphor changes per the poem, but it's I think if we're rooting it in one idea, it is the soul of the person, the soul of the yes. poetic voice. Well, does it change then, or does the man's interpretation of the raven change throughout it, and the raven just remains the same, a constant, I like that. dark, impenetrable force? I don't yeah. think that you can have a symbol change throughout a piece as rapidly as that one does. I think that kind of defeats the purpose. But I can definitely see that as he goes into madness, what he views the raven as does definitely become shifted and evolves also i'd like just just a little bit of informality here i'd like our listeners to appreciate the fact that uh that paul over here has his microphone wrapped in a white sock and it looks like a bone <laughs> he's like holding it that's fitting <laughs> like a what? bone why why is that fitting <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why i my microphone's wrapped in in a fuzzy christmas scarf so uh, and it doesn't necessarily look as much like a bone um, fuzzy Christmas scarves, highly, highly recommend. Cannot recommend enough. They're soaked with aloe, makes your feet all nice and soft. And <laughs> ten out of ten. Highly recommend. Guess what I'm wearing right now? All right, it's Ashley. Hey, socks. Ashley Calkins is wearing fun Christmas socks. Okay. So what could what could be what's driving him mad then? Is it well, connected yeah. to like the lost love, or is it uh, crime? What are we thinking? Memory. Where did you get crime? crimes i don't know i personally might want to connect this to dorian gray where it's kind of like his moral compass is like separate and kind of haunting him externally but i thought i thought it was more the absence of lenore the feeling loss be it, it the anguish sorrow for the lost lenore and it, this Lenore person, uh, as Noah said, representing the, lo- the loss of his wife, is kind of haunting him through this crow well, Lenore, and reminding Lenore, him of his own loss. Lenore Can, isn't... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, we've said it twice now, Lenore is not representing the loss of the narrator's wife. Lenore is the 
lost narrator's wife. Yes, but her concept itself can also represent loss. Well, symbolically, because, yes. In the, yes. in the notion of the grander notion of Poe. Can okay. I add something real quick? No, of, of course, course you can, Noah. Of course you can, Noah. <laughs> um, I just want to back up because, Tyler, you said something really insightful before that I absolutely loved. You didn't just say Lenore or loss. You said memory, the memory of her. It seems as if the memory haunts her as if she's a spiritual essence. It almost seems like she's haunting him in parts of the poem behind his chair. It's like, and then I want to make – oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I interrupted. Go ahead. Well, I just want to make a connection with um, what Ashley is saying about um, the sense of the loss. And, Paul, I respect your opinion, but I don't know if it's about crime. Um, and I think Crimes. Kind of, <laughs> crimes. Um, the Gilead and the Aiden mentioned in the poem are both references to heaven. Um, Aiden is the Arabic word for paradise, and Gilead's the Hebrew word for paradise. Actually, can I can I add on to the Gilead idea? Yeah, definitely. Go okay, ahead. so I uh, when I was reading this before, I went, um, "Hey Google, uh, what is the balm of Gilead?" And my Google is going to respond to me because I'm doing it in this room. Um, so I'm going to turn down my Google. But anyway, it, the balm of Gilead means like a cure-all. So um, it, it, shut up, Google. It, it's speaking to me. It's speaking to me. Guest star, Google, on Humans in Motion. <laughs> it's, it's, it's speaking to me and it won't be quiet. And I can't think. Okay, now Kinda I Kind of like think. the raven. <laughs> so, Nevermore. Um, Nevermore. So the balm of Gilead. Um, the balm of Gilead is uh, a cure-all and in the context of the poem it says is there is there a balm in Gilead tell me tell me I implore like he's searching for a way to cure his anguish his sadness uh, rid himself of this feeling of loss and that loss ladies and gentlemen is what we're going to attempt to find a solution for right after this message from our sponsors stay with us Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Humans in Motion. And now a question I wanted to pose about this loss that we've been talking about. The, the raven uh, seemingly bothering the narrator uh, we've discussed is, of course, um, or has been interpreted as the loss of his, his wife. But if it was a loss of a loved one, why is it so not angry, but why is it so out to kind of bother and... Um, cause harm and pain to the narrator's life and why isn't it more of just a sorrowful uh, sadness as like a sad reminder we have to remember <clears throat> paul that when people are um grieving that humanity has a tend to personify and by proxy we have um a tendency to give everything motive and reason um so like knocking on wood, if you will, in a weird way. So we have to think about the, what you would have to go through to lose a loved one. None of us can ha have truly 
loved like uh like poe has loved like loving a wife for or a husband for your entire life or a cousin or a cup (laughs) thank you (laughs) oh my god thank you you just Um, ruined it (laughs) we we do not we do not support incest okay anyway to have a partner and a second half of you and then to one day not is unspeakable unthinkable and unfathomable and so we mustn't act like we know what we're talking about in that regard but to an extent i would like to bring up the point that when you are grieving you look for a reason you look for a why and a lot of that people liken back to god whereas it's okay god has a plan god has a reason this is all going to work out in the end but those same fears that lead us to look to God for answers um, are what drives this personification of, oh my gosh, this is after me. This is coming to get me. This is attacking me. I need to stop it. What do you think? What do you think is, about that? Is I it, might go ahead, Ashley. Is it comforting to know if, if you look to religion as a, um, as a consoling factor, is it comforting to know that your loved one, uh, is in enjoying the afterlife because under that framework then why wouldn't poe have a more um i guess a, um conciliatory view towards yeah. death what, what do you mean by that well well we have to remember that in the old times suicide was a sin life was a gift of god you weren't allowed to just squander it or wish it over in what the old times mean? in the well right in the context of when this was written well one how do we tie suicide in um well the notion this? the notion of wanting one's life to be over that's why poe is like she's happy but i can't be happy with her okay so like we did and we do tend to do this on this podcast go off on the religious aspect of things and i like that i think that makes this podcast special um but for Poe, I think he's a very sensual person. And hey, so the face? fact. Sorry, sorry. The fact. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, good. No, go ahead, Noah. No, it's just like the fact is Poe really doesn't give a crap about religion. Poe's very <laughs> sensual. Poe's very, oh, she's not there. Well, I don't care where she is. I want her here with me right now and if it's not i'm going to mentally freak out which is what happens so he could care less about the broader rhetoric he wants the sensual pleasure of lenore with him in that room right there the sensual pleasure ladies and gentlemen that is what Poe is after <laughs> no that was beautiful i really appreciate your insight i'm sorry i'm i i'm sorry i just had to point i just had to make fun of the sensual pleasure yeah i still don't i still don't see why so okay if we draw a parallel between finding solace and finding comfort uh between a religion and then between like uh personifying and making this this uh, imaginary raven i mean i don't know why he would create or imagine this this harrowing like enemy and maybe not like a, a positive representation of his well, former companion. Well, we have to remember that A, he's insane, and B, there's a part here, and I quote, doubtless, said I, 
what it utters is it's only stock and store, basically meaning that he knows the Raven can't say anything other than Evermore. But then he goes on and asks him more questions like, like, bro, like, what's going on? Like, why do you mock me? And he's like, I, I can't speak anything else. You know, I can't speak anything else. But he continues to ask. So I don't think that there is a framework to ask questions as to why the narrator does or feels a certain way when it's clear that he is far gone, too far gone through the majority of this uh, piece. Could this be likened to the five stages of grief, just not necessarily ending of those five stages? Isn't what's the, what are the five stages of grief? Snaps for Kubler Ross. <laughs> <laughs> Why is everybody okay. laughing at me? I feel because like it's always you bring up Because, Calkins, you, okay, at least with me, you, you bring up the five stages of grief a lot, and I really like how fascinating No, no, I, this is the first third, time. Third. What? <laughs> grief is fascinating. I stand by I agree. No, I, I'm not opposed to it. That's why I wasn't like, ugh. I was like laughing because it's so the five <laughs> stages of grief. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't actually know them, but I know one of them is denial. I think it's, it starts generally speaking like this. And don't quote me, I'm paraphrasing. But your denial, it's like denial that it's like couldn't happen to you where that's not happening. And then one of them is like, why is it happening to you? And then one of them is like, one of you them's know, bargaining and anger and yeah, okay, yeah. so in depression. Order? Yeah, you, so you get angry. So you try to bargain. You try to fix it. Like, oh, God, I'll do anything. Like, I'll give up cheese for a month or I'll give up chocolate at Paul. And then the next step is when that thing happens and you get angry. And then you get depressed. And then you're like, okay, this is actually chill. I'm cool with never living again. Deny, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance is what Google has told me. Didn't, okay. Please don't laugh at me, Tyler. I don't ever laugh at you. I laugh with you, Calkins. Well, if we we scroll through the poem or turn the pages in our poem book, we can see the five stages of grief, um, except acceptance has never been reached. So I felt that was important that we can at least liken it to a psychological phenomenon. I really like that. I think he's still stuck in denial. I honestly think that's it. That's why you see the haunting of Lenore and the Raven. He's taunting the Raven. Why'd you take away Lenore? She's not gone to him. She's just someplace else waiting to visit me again. So Absolutely. Absolutely. The five stages of grief imply mental stability and they imply mental sanity. Um, There was this... In the fourth stanza, it says, um, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door that I scarce was sure I heard you here. I opened wide the door, darkness there and nothing more. To me, that seems like a metaphor for the emptiness of his soul. And if we liken this to unconditional love towards another person, when you lose that person to whom you give your unconditional love, it's like you lose your capacity to love all in itself which then might explain the anguish anger madness that ensues beyond lenore's passing ashley that's beautiful uh do we we are running out of time so i'd like paul to give some closing thoughts what if the narrator is dead (laughs) and that's all the time we have for today. <laughs> but that's just a theory. 
of poetry theory. Thanks for listening to Humans in Motion, ladies and gentlemen. I really hope you're having a wonderful day here on this beautiful, non-flooded green earth. Hopefully no ravens show up at your little windowsill tonight when you hear gentle rapping against your chamber doors. With that in mind, dear listeners, also, also really quickly, I, I, to any of our listeners out there, um, I, I've been listening to a new podcast recently. It's called um, Wolf 359. And go show your support. You know, they're still running. It's a wonderful, wonderful docudrama podcast. Highly, highly recommend it. All right. I just wanted to throw that out there because it's amazing. So with that in mind, um, any last thoughts? Um, so Tyler has been teaching me computer programming here and I have put together our website for our humble little podcast. So if you'd like to check it out, go to humans-in-motion.glitch.me to see what my two lessons of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, I no, think. No, express with no JS. Express with Node.js has um, put together. That's what I'd like to say. Shout out to Mean Full Stack Development. Okay. Um, All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again so much for listening. Thank you, dear listeners, for listening. Share the podcast, share the love, share the happiness, share the life. All right, God speak to you all.